Ruth chapter 1 is where we'll be. Let me open us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these guys in the room. It's good to come in and just laugh, have a little fun, uh, talk about what's going on in life, but also we want to hear uh, your word and your challenge to us. And so, God, as we look uh, uh, at the story of Naomi uh, today, uh, really, God, I want us to um, really see how it applies to our lives and how it affects our lives and where we might uh, fall into some of the same uh, emotional and relational traffic patterns that Naomi uh, uh, navigated through. And then we'll ultimately want to see her redemptive grace and everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, guys, I told you uh, last week that I'm in the middle of writing a book uh, for our widows, an encouraging book for our widows, kind of taking examples from widows in the Scripture. And so today, uh, although we're going to the book of Ruth, we're actually going to look at Naomi's story. Uh, Most of the time we think about uh, Ruth and we follow Ruth all the way through. Now, Ruth's obviously involved in the story because the book's named after her. Uh, But uh, really, when you come to Naomi, uh, the title in my book for our widows will be Naomi, the name changer. Uh, and uh, really, as we look at this story, there are a couple of thoughts for what you know uh, of the story of Ruth and perhaps Naomi and Elimelech and Malon and uh, Kilon. Uh, that's the two boys and, and the husband who die. A uh, couple, of, couple of themes run through that if, obviously, if you're connecting with uh, a widow or someone that's been a tragic or a widower, um, is this. Uh, th- thought number one, life isn't always pleasant. I mean, life isn't always uh, pleasant. I mean, you've heard me share not long ago uh, a message just uh, about suicide and what's going on and some difficulties in life. We can all think of uh, tragic circumstances that took place. Uh, we can think of uh, the story of these young uh, soccer boys in Thailand where it looks like there is going to be uh, a very positive outcome. But we can also probably, uh, doesn't take us long to think back and find uh, some stories like that that don't have as positive of an outcome. But the reality, when we look at this story uh, and we look at Naomi's life, uh, life's not always pleasant. Sometimes we get dealt a bad hand. Sometimes we, we want to look at God and say, redeal. Uh, but um, it doesn't always happen that way. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. So if you're in the midst of one of those unpleasant seasons, I want to encourage you with this. Here's what Paul said. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So if you're in one of those unpleasant seasons in life, uh, don't look at it. uh, Obviously, it's a bad thing. It doesn't say all things are good. It says don't look at it as a bad thing, but look at it as the God thing. Say, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know how you're going to use this. I don't know why I'm going through this, but since I love you, I believe you got a purpose for this, and you're going to make something good out of something bad. And that's actually what we're going to see in Naomi's story as we look through uh, the book of Ruth. Here's the second thing as I think about this, uh, this passage. is this, that um, bitterness doesn't have to last forever. Bitterness doesn't have to last forever. Now, I know people that choose to be bitter forever, don't we? I know people that they always are bitter about something. They're always complaining about something. They're always griping about something. And the truth is, uh, you know, if you want to look at the cloud and every silver, silver lining, you can find something to be bitter about. You can find something bitter, you know, you can find something bitter about today. Uh, you can find something bitter about the work, about your relationship with other people, about uh, the church, about anything. You can find something to be bitter about. And if that's your choice, just realize that's your choice. But now there are other times that because of life situation, 
they drive us to be bitter. And that's exactly what we're going to see in Naomi's life is not only does she lose her husband, but she loses her two boys. And she actually will see her in a few seconds uh, when she returns from Moab to Bethlehem. The ladies look up and say, hey, look, there's Naomi returning. Uh, and the word Naomi means to be pleasant or sweetness, my pleasant one, my sweet one. Uh, Naomi looks at him and says, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mayra. And which means bitter. And so she changes her name. Well, as we get to the end of the story, we see that uh, she gets back to being the pleasant one and she's able to hold in the hands of, um, in her very own hands uh, as a grandmother, she holds the grandfather, uh, Obed, uh, of, um, of David, who would come and ultimately be in the line uh, in the lineage of Jesus. Here's the second, here's the third thing. Uh, so number one, we'll see in this story is life isn't always pleasant. Number two is bitter doesn't have to last forever uh, unless you choose for it to. Um, number three, we should always live a life of hope. We should always live a life of hope. Now, I want you to know, when we look at Naomi's story here in the next few minutes, uh, Naomi doesn't necessarily consistently live a life of hope. She kind of lives a life of hopelessness. But at a certain point, she's open to see what God might be doing. And as we get through the story and all of a sudden uh, Ruth goes out as Ruth has traveled back, Ruth the Moabite woman has traveled back to uh, Jerusalem uh, with Naomi. And Naomi's older and she's more frail and she's a widow. And Ruth says, man, I better go gather us something to eat. And so she goes and gleans in the corner of the fields. Uh, and then all of a sudden Ruth comes back and says, uh, Boaz, this guy named Boaz, uh, took care of me. And it's interesting, even as you see in the midst of the story, there's a turn where Naomi begins to see hope again. And she says, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, the redemption hasn't happened, but at least her eyes have been opened. And so my encouragement to you is, uh, man, live a life filled with hope. And if you are in the midst of some difficult situation or hardship or you know someone else, Keep your eyes open for God moving. Remember, if God's going to work all things together for good, we need to be open for it when we see the door. And that is the one thing that we see in this story is that when Ruth comes back and shares with Naomi uh, that she's encountered a man named Boaz who cared for her and told his men uh, to, uh, to, to, to not run her off, even though she's a Moabite woman, uh, Naomi immediately sees a ray of hope. And she thinks, man, there's a sovereign God that might well be at work here. Now, even in that midst, she couldn't see what was ultimately going to happen, that ultimately the kinsman redeemer was going to step in, Ruth was going to get married to him, they were going to have a child, and Naomi was going to have what she always wanted, which is what? Grandchildren, right? How, how many parents are here in the room? Uh, I see one in here with her children. Uh, what, do, what do parents always want? As their children age, they can't wait for grandkids, right? Because they hate their kids, right? And uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but I mean, that's what it is. Don't grandmas want grandkids? I mean, isn't that what they want? I mean, that's why. So Naomi gets to a space and a place. She's probably given up that hope that she says, not only did my husband die, uh, but my two boys died. Uh, I'm not going to have grandkids. You know, I'm going to be a barren grandmother, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to always live uh, with uh, live a life with the story of hope. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And here's the fourth thing as we look through this story is this. Um, God's power, and God has the power to overcome all bitterness. 
in all bitter circumstances. God can do that. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 28 and 29, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so uh, those are kind of the, uh, the principles that I saw as I was studying this story over and over again. It's one, life isn't always pleasant. Uh, bitterness, number two, bitterness doesn't have to last forever. Number three, we should always live uh, a story and a life of hope, looking for God to open a window if he closes the door, looking for a spark or ray of sunshine or looking for the silver lining in the midst of a cloud. And then finally, God has the power to overcome any bitterness in any better circumstance in your life. And so uh, let's start. Let me give you a couple of thoughts, and I'm just going to line this out as I did in the book. Uh, a couple of thoughts. As we think about Naomi the name changer, um, she basically, Naomi means pleasant uh, or sweet one. And um, then she gets in, and we're going to see, we're going to read some of this. Uh, her husband, Elimelech, uh, there's a famine in Judah, and they choose to journey off to Moab because they said the, the, the famine hasn't reached uh, Moab yet. So uh, uh, he takes, uh, Limelech chooses uh, to walk with his wife, Naomi. They go off to Moab because there's not a famine there. While they're there, uh, she not only loses her husband, but she loses her two sons. And when she comes back to Judah, when she hears the famine is no longer uh, in effect or in place, or uh, apparently there's been rain in Judah, and she comes back, and the ladies look at her and say, Hey, there's Naomi. Uh, imagine if, uh, if someone you knew left and went to a different, uh, uh, went to a different state. Uh, and then all of a sudden they move back, and you said, Hey, Bob, or whatever your name is. And they go, No, don't call me Bob. Bob, call me Bitter. And you go, why do I call you bitter? Well, let me tell you what happened while I was over there. Does that make sense? So that's exactly what has happened. So she's a name changer for that reason. But at the end of the story, she comes back to being pleasant again. She shows back up. But let's pick it up. Let's just open up reading in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, uh, as we see that Naomi goes with her husband uh, to Moab. It says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In those days the judges ruled. So we're still in the season in the time of the judges. Uh, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, uh, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. Uh, the wife's name was Naomi. And his, the names of his two children were Malon and Kilon. Uh, and they were, listen to this, uh, they were Ephratites uh, from Bethlehem, uh, Ephratites uh, from Bethlehem of Judea. Uh, in, uh, of Judah, and it says they went to Moab and lived there. So here's what they did. They journeyed away. Let me give you a couple of names, interesting names. Who knows what the name Bethlehem means? House of Bread. There you go. You've listened, listened uh, Christmas. I'll go back over there at Christmas, you know, when they journeyed to Bethlehem. Uh, who knows what Judah means? The Hebrew word Judah means praise. That a boy. Hey, glad you showed up today. All the rest of these guys didn't have a clue. So, uh, so if you put the two of those together, all right, it really says kind of we find the house of bread when we praise God. It's kind of the, the, the house of bread in the land of praise, if you want to put it that way. So Bethlehem of Judea, Judea, uh, Judah means the house of bread in the land of praise. Uh, Limelech, anybody know what a Limelech means if you have a study Bible? Come on, don't let me down now. Huh? 
My God is king. That's what it means. It means my God is king. Uh, Naomi means my delight, my sweet, my pleasant one. All right. Now, it's interesting. So you've got somebody. Uh, you've got a couple. Uh, they're from the house of bread in the land of praise. His name is my God is king. Uh, her name is pleasantness and sweetness. Uh, and they're, then they name their kids Malon and Kilon. All right. Or Chilon, however you want to say that. Those names are completely different. Malon means sick. How would you like to name your kid sick? Every once in a while, your kid will do something that's pretty cool. Say, that was sick, dude. But that's not what we're talking about. It means sick. Uh, and so you're sitting here thinking, man, why would you name, if, you, if your name is uh, my Lord is a God, but in, in the midst, in the, and they apparently named these kids when they were back in Judah, uh, and they named one of them sick, all right? And Kilon means, uh, the, old, the old term for it is pining or wanting in vain, longing in vain. Who knows the history of that word pining? Kind of an old, old English word where um, uh, what, they would, what they would call it is uh, like if a, uh, a bride, a young bride, had a uh, sailor for a husband who went off with a group of ships to battle or fight or whatever, and then all the ships come back in, but his ship doesn't come back in. All right? But she continues to go back to the waterfront every day looking for his ship. She is longing and desiring, but she is longing and wanting in vain. So if you hear someone pining away or something like that, that's kind of the idea that they have a whining and a longing uh, for something to happen that will not happen. And so that's kind of the idea. And so that's why when you look at the King James, if you look at a King James note somewhere, an old, old study Bible, it would say that that word means pining. She's just longing. Uh, so, uh, which means the longing or, or, or whatever. And then so here, so sick, all right, Malon marries Ruth, all right? Ruth, what does Ruth mean? Anybody know? Friendship. It means uh, friendship, uh, or it can even mean beautiful friend, uh, beautiful friend. Uh, and then uh, the other one is Orpah, not Oprah. Orpah is, uh, is who Kilon married. Anybody know what that means? Okay, ornamented with rich hair, or the Hebrewized version of it means gazelle. Yeah, yeah, stubborn. It, it, it's you know, it, it's it's kind of crazy when you look at it. It means uh, it means one of two things, depending on whether you're looking Aramaic, Hebrew, or ultimately into the translation. Yours says stubborn. Yeah, I, that's uh, that that's good. I I was wondering who we were talking about there. If you're just talking about Mike or her. Occasionally. All right. Very good. All right. So you've got all these names that mean things. All right. But Naomi is the one we're going to focus on today. Uh, and Elimelech takes, and if you want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, uh, Elimelech uh, takes and moves his family uh, from the house of bread and the land of praise over to Moab. If you go look in Deuteronomy chapter 23, uh, there's actually a curse pronounced uh, on Moab by uh, by God through Moses because the Moabites, when the children of Israel were making their journey uh, to the promised land and they're going through the deserts, the Moabites didn't come out and help them at all. They wouldn't give them water. They wouldn't give them bread. They wouldn't give them help. They wouldn't give them anything. And so what did God say? Listen, when you get into the promised land, 
You just kind of shake your du- shake the dust off your feet. You ignore them. You don't even go there. And it also says, don't welcome them in the assembly to the tenth or, el- or the eleventh generation. In other words, God was pretty hacked, and He wanted His people to be hacked. And so when Elimelech got up and journeyed to Moab, although his uh, name was, uh, uh, you know, my God is king or my king is God, uh, he was really going to a place of disobedience. That would be my assumption. There are others who say, well, he has some freedom there because the truth is he was leaving a land that was in the midst of famine. Okay, he was leaving the land. So you could say, hey, I was going, I was going to provide for my food, whatever for my family, whatever it was, uh, Elimelech left and he went away. Things did not turn out well for Elimelech or his children. And ultimately, Naomi comes back after that. And so if you want to read Deuteronomy chapter 21, uh, 23, uh, pick it up. I'll pick it up in about verse 3 or something like that if you want to read that. So Naomi follows her husband. Now notice what else happens. Tragedy strikes. Ten years after they've been in Moab, ten years after they've been in Moab, the husband Elimelech, Malon, and Kilon, all three die. If you want to see this, you jump down to verse 3 of Ruth chapter 1 if you're there. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, not Oprah, and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there, listen to this, about 10 years, both Malon and Kilon also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons or her husband. So here she was, a widow uh, in a grieving widow, a grieving mother who has lost her two sons in a foreign land, and all she has are two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Does that make sense? She's got nothing. And remember, in those seasons and in those days, as an agrarian society, if a widow did not have men or heirs or land to take care of them, they were basically uh, pressured to the margins if they could survive at all. And so she's faced with a decision. Do I stay here in a land and hope that my daughter-in-law's new husbands, when they marry, are willing to take care of this foreign wife, or do I make the journey back? And so that's when we see uh, uh, she decides to return, and we're going to pick it up in verse 6. Naomi decides to return to Judea because she hears that the famine is over. So notice what it says. When Naomi, in verse 6, when Naomi heard... um, uh, it, that back in Moab, that the Lord uh, came to aid, to the aid of His people and provided food for them. In other words, the famine is over. She made a decision to go back with her daughter-in-laws and prepare for them to return to their home. So now as you stop, notice what happens as you continue to look on. Uh, she, she tells her daughter-in-laws to stay there. Look at it, pick it up verse 8. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-laws as they begin to make the journey, Go back, each one of you, to your mother's home. In other words, I can't provide for you. We're going back to Judah. I'm going to live there as a widow. Uh, I can't provide for you even there. And as a matter of fact, Naomi probably knows that if these two Moabite widows come back into our community, they're probably going to be rejected. So there's probably something even within her heart, not only do I not have the financial resources to care for you and take care of you, but my people, they may accept me back, 
but they may really marginalize you. And so why did she tell them to stay? She may well have really been looking out, out after their own best interests. And so she says, you guys stay back, and um, uh, you don't need to come. And so notice that's where we pick up the story in verse 8. It says that Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back, each of you, uh, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness. She at least offered them a blessing as you have shown kindness uh, to your dead husbands and to me. So they had apparently had cared for her for whatever season they were there. She said, May the Lord grant to each of you that you would find a new home and another husband. Man, releasing her. Then she kissed them goodbye, and uh, they wept aloud uh, and said to her, We will go back uh, uh, with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, return home, my daughters. Uh, why would you come with me? Am I, uh, am I going to have um, any more uh, sons? No, I'm old in my age. Uh, who could become your husband? Return home, my daughter, she says. I'm too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was uh, still hope for me, even if I had a husband uh, tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up to take care of you? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughter, she says, it's more bitter. Now, there's the word bitter that comes up the first time. For me um, uh, than for you, because the Lord's hand uh, has turned against me. And it says this, as uh, they wept uh, aloud again, uh, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law uh, and um, began to go away. But Ruth, it says, clung, clung to her. Now, here's where Naomi changes her name. All right, this is where she comes to the name changer. Pick it up, just continue to read verse 20. It says, Don't call me Naomi, she said, as she's coming back into Judah. All the women looked up and pointed and said, Hey, look, is that Naomi coming back? Now, she had been weathered a little bit, uh, and she says, Don't call me Naomi anymore. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter, uh, because the Almighty has dealt with my life in a bitter way. And it says, I went away full, this is where she said, but the Lord has brought me back empty. That's why she wants to be called. I went away full. I had a husband. I had two uh, sons. Even when we were beyond that, I had two daughters-in-law. We had land. We had profitability. We had everything. I went away full, but I have returned empty, she said. And she added that. And um, the Lord has not kind, uh, dealt kindly with me. Now, as we think about this, a lot of us from time to time do this. I mean, obviously, the context of the book is going to be to speak to widows. At some, time, at some point, if they are a widow, they are more full than they were. Now, uh, people become widows at different ages and different stages in life. Sometimes uh, we've heard of the stories. How many of you heard the stories of people, uh, married couples that live forever and ever and ever, it seems like, and they both died within a few months of each other uh, when they were 91? Uh, there was a story last year sometime where two 90-year-olds, uh, they died within almost 30 minutes of each other uh, as, they, as they died together. Then there are other times that you see some, you know, my mom became a widow, widow at 49 years old. Uh, there are other people that have become widows at 20-some-odd years old. And, and the idea is at one point they were full. They had children. They had kids. They had a lot of those things. Very rarely uh, do you see a widow that loses everything. But there was actually just a recent example. Uh, if you saw it last week, anybody see the minivan accident uh, that happened? Uh, that, that, what a tragic, tragic circumstance. Where was it, like in Connecticut? or where? Yeah, that uh, a father was driving with his wife and his four daughters. 
and they were driving down the road. I think the oldest daughter may have been like 18 or 17 or something like that. So the whole family's in the car. Uh, F-350 crosses uh, uh, the center line and hits them head on. The dad and the four daughters die. The only one that survived is the wife. And uh, I think her first statement was that they quoted her in the newspaper was, I'm all alone. Well, what is she saying? She goes, man, I got in that minivan full, and now I'm empty. And, and there are times in our lives that uh, maybe not to that extent, that tragic extent, that, that we look back on where we were in the, you know, six months ago or three months ago or six years ago, uh, and we think, man, life just seemed to be full of enjoyment and excitement, and I was blessed, and now all of a sudden I am empty. And that's exactly the way Naomi felt. And she said, man, don't even bother calling me pleasant one. Don't even call me, uh, bother calling me uh, one who is blessed of God because God, and then she blames God. God has dealt with me bitterly. And so that would be my encouragement to you, and it's going to be my encouragement to the widows, is don't look for, reason, look for things to blame God for. I mean, sometimes as long as we live in a sinful world, now, if you've lived your life in perfect existence and total obedience to God and complete worship from the moment you took your first breath until the day and you don't need God's grace and you haven't sinned, then maybe you can blame God. But there's a reality we are surrounded in a sinful world by sinful people with sinful consequences and difficult circumstances. And there are times that what happens is we, sometimes what I see a lot. Now, there are things, that Elimelech shouldn't have gone to Moab to begin with. But that never becomes part of the story. It's always God's fault. The best thing we can do if we're going to grow from past experiences is look back on our life. And if we're in the midst of a painful season and a painful situation, say, what did I do to contribute to it? As I think about a marriage counseling situation that, uh, you know, not one particular, but in general, that uh, uh, I've come over the year, and they don't, they don't let me do a lot of marriage counseling anymore. Uh, you can usually tell within the first 15, 20 minutes of the first marriage counseling if this is going to help at all. You really can. And I will promise you, if I've met with you three times, I've told you all I can tell you. I mean, anything beyond that, I'm just, I'm just taking your money. I've never charged for it, but I'm just taking your money because I got nothing more to say. What does that mean? That means that there are times that you see a couple that comes to you and they are really wanting to honestly examine what brought them to the place they're at. Does that make sense? Then there are others who want to come to you and all they want to do is complain about the other person and blame them, right? And there, everybody is at fault somehow, some way when you get to that situation. We're always at fault. And the real question is, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to open our eyes? Are we willing to honestly say, what did I do to contribute to this problem? And the truth is that uh, we all have something. We've all played some part. If you're in one of those bitter seasons in your life, your recipe for failure in your future is to always blame someone else. If you don't take any personal responsibility, if you don't take any personal stock, if you don't take any personal reality of where you contributed to the problem, to the broken relationship, to the mistake, if you're always wanting to point out someone else's mistakes, and man, we got a bunch of folks 
and churches that are really good at pointing at other people's sin and other people's problems, and they would never, ever, ever consider examining their own lives. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when he was getting the, uh, the uh, church in Corinthians ready, the church at Corinth, ready for them to take the Lord's Supper? What did he say? He said, examine yourself. And that's where we want to be in a season, guys. If, if, if you're full, examine yourself. Make sure there aren't little habits or things that could lead to you being empty. If you are empty, examine yourself. What did I do to contribute to the problem? And I will promise you, if your only answer for the season you're in is someone else, you have probably missed the biggest perpetrator of the crime that I was involved somehow, some ways. Now, I'll also tell you that there, I've known people, and, and they're in this church. I've also known people that seem to do the right things and walk the right way and live a healthy life, and all of a sudden they get cancer. Those are the ones that are hard to explain. Does that make sense? That's when you blame your mom and dad. But there's a reality. But, but a lot of times in, in, in seasons of emptiness, we had something to do with it. And the biggest thing is we want to be learners. What did I do to contribute to the problem? What am I, you know, if you're living like Naomi and you're living in a bitter, bitter existence, an angry, bitter existence, that's in your mind. That's in your mind. And you need to deal with that. If it's your heart or whatever it is, if it's your circumstance, whatever it is. All right, so now um, now notice, here's, here's kind of a neat thing. So she changes her name when she comes back. Now, as you jump over into Ruth chapter 2, um, Naomi goes ahead and blesses uh, Ruth. And as we jump in it, Naomi begins to realize after Ruth says, I need to go out. Uh, so Ruth gets back there, and she looks at Naomi and says, Hey, uh, Naomi, I'm kind of sitting around the house. You're, you're an older widow. Uh, Ruth says, I, I, I've got strong legs, I've got strong hands, I can go gather some food. And so Ruth goes out and begins to gather at the corners, at the margins of the field of a man that belongs to Boaz. She doesn't know where, she just says, I'm going to go out and glean in the fields. And that was part of uh, Israelite law, is that uh, if there was a wealthy man who had a crop or had a field, he could go ahead and glean the grain. He would gather the grain. He could harvest the grain in the middle of the field, but he was to leave the corners for the widows and orphans. Does that make sense? So they could come in and they could gather. That was part of their tithe, their gift. They're providing for the lesser ones, those who are more needy than them. And so Ruth goes out and she... Uh, uh, and she is going to go out and she's going to gather food. So pick it up and read in verse, uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 20. And here's what Naomi said. Naomi said, said, uh, Naomi said to her, The Lord bless you, my daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. She says, That man is our close relative, and he is our guardian redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. So, Ruth goes out and gathers in the field. While she's gathers in the, gathers in the field, Boaz takes note of her. Boaz looks out there and says, hey, uh, boys, and that's exactly what he says. You go read it. He doesn't say it with that exact tone. But he says, hey, boys, come here. Uh, who's that chick over there? That's pretty much what Boaz says. And they go, that's Ruth the Moabite. She came back with her, with her mother-in-law, Naomi. He goes, really? He says, uh, Don't run her off. In fact, give her free reign. 
And when Ruth comes back and says, you know, I just kind of walked up this field today. I'm doing my work. And apparently the landowner took a little interest in me. And Naomi's going, really? And she goes, yeah, who is it? She said, Boaz. And that's when Naomi, who had been bitter, begins to see the ray of hope, begins to see the silver lining in the clouds. She goes, you men of all the people that you could have interacted with today, of all the landowners you could have shown up as, of all the people you could have come back and talked to me, you happen to talk to the guy who is our kinsman redeemer. And so the ray of hope begins to show up. And so my encouragement with you, even in such little things in life, if you were in one of those empty spaces, well, let's be honest where Ruth was, right? She's gleaning at the margins of the fields because she has nothing. Does that make sense? So it's not like she's walking around in some, you know, amazing dress. She didn't drive up in her Porsche or Ferrari. She is gleaning in the fields. But Naomi is the one that begins to sense God might be all over this. And so if you're in one of those difficult situations, those spaces of bitterness or places of bitterness in a marriage or relationship with your kids or in your finances or something, look for glimmers of hope. Look for glimmers of hope. Let me tell you what, you will always be able to find bitterness. You will always be able to find bitterness. I mean, Naomi could have, said, could have sat there and said, well, well, why didn't he call? He knew I was back in town, right? Anybody ever done that? Man, that was, uh, it was when, I, when I first uh, came to Fairview, one of the things that I, uh, back at the old church, I mean, really, I had to leave the church because there wasn't anybody in the church. I had to go leave the church if I wanted to see people. And uh, I would go nuts sitting in my office at the old church. So I made a habit of just I had a list of our widows, and I'd go visit them from time to time. And just I'd, I'd never met some of these before. And it, it, there, there, there was one lady that I walked in. I'd been at the church probably five or six weeks. I'd never seen her. She didn't come to church anymore, but I'd just seen her name on the list. I go knock on the door. I go in there and see her. And she kind of gave me the, what took you so long? I was thinking, this is a bitter woman. I continued to go back and see her. It never got better. I mean, it was just always, ah, how long has it been since you came last time? You know, those kind of deals. I mean, it was one of those things that, uh, you know, you're, you're just kind of sitting there, you're bitter. I, I now know why you're always alone. Your kids don't come. Your grandkids don't come. No one wants to be around you. Don't ever let yourself become that person. I love that. Even though Naomi has been through bitterness and difficulty, and she even renames herself bitterness, she is open to seeing a glimmer of hope. And so I want to encourage you, whether it's your marriage, your relationship with your kids, whatever, look for glimmers of hope. And that's exactly what we, she sees, and so she blesses her. Now, um, in, 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 in Ruth chapter 3, I won't read this story because of time, but Naomi plays matchmaker. So they go along, and, and Naomi catches a glimpse that, hey, Boaz, um, not only uh, is your kinsman redeemer, he has taken a bit of an interest in you. And so she kind of looks at Ruth, and he's, she says, uh, don't miss this, honey. You know, don't miss this opportunity. And so she kind of says the plan. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go in, and when he, uh, when he gets ready to go to bed at night, you're just going to keep an eye. And, and, you're, and she kind of gives her the stealth method. All right? She goes, we're going to see where he lays down. When he lays down, you're going to go down. You're going to lay at his feet. You're going to lay at his feet. You're going to uncover his feet. You're going to cover yourself up. And then we're going to see what happens. Just good luck. All right? Oh, and if you go read the story, you know what else she told her to do, which is not a bad plan? She told her to wash up and put on some perfume. 
That's not a bad plan, all right? If you're trying to impress, even if he is a kinsman redeemer, stink is still stink, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, you, you ever tried to help someone out? You ever, yeah, I won't, never mind. It's barely before seven. Justin's sitting over there going, <laughs> stink is stink. So she gives her great advice. She goes, listen, if you want to catch his attention, go ahead and wash up a bit. All right, throw on some perfume, get whatever the nicest. We don't have much nice clothes, but put the nicest ones on. Go lay at his feet, all right? And so as you see the story, he takes notice of her. Uh, Boaz goes, and he uh, goes to the kinsman redeemer. says, I'm actually not first in line. I'm next in line. Let me call up. Uh, Boaz works it out where the uh, initial kinsman redeemer says, I'm out on this gig uh, because I'm going to have to take her in. I'm going to have to have children. I'm going to have to provide for her. So he passes along. Boaz says, that worked out. Uh, he did things right. And so now notice where Naomi's bitterness now turns back to joy again. Jump all the way down to Ruth chapter 4, verse 14. It says this, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. So they uh, walked the aisle, got married. Uh, when he made love to her, uh, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman, the woman said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. And it says, may, listen to this, may he become, listen, famous throughout all of Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, Ruth, man, who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. All right, what a, what a beautiful thought is that Naomi, who has lost everything, now even at the end of their life, and obviously the, the challenge of the story uh, for our widows that will be reading the book is, man, you know, don't think the best part of your life is past. You may not actually have a grandchild or a great-grandchild that's going to be the one that restores you, but God is moving in your life somehow, some way to bring you praise uh, and, 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 and a beautiful nature. And if you think of who that child becomes, now remember, it's this Moabite girl who a disobedient father journeys from the house of bread in the, prom- in the, in the land of praise, goes over to Moab, Moab who, who God said don't even, don't even care for them, don't even talk to them, don't even allow them in the assembly. Her child marries this Moabite girl. This Moabite girl comes back, ends up being taken in by the kinsman redeemer and gives Naomi a child, but it's not just any child. This is where God's grace takes over because if you jump down to verse 16, look at the genealogy. This is the genealogy at the end of, uh, end of the book of Ruth. It says, Then Naomi took the child in her arms, and he cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, who became the father of who? David. Man, all of this happens. And so the encouragement to all of us guys is when we think about, think about our ups and downs in life, we think about, think about the curves in our life, some of the bitterness, some of the difficulties, some of the hard spots that we have in our life, always believe that God works all things together for good. God's got a purpose. The question is, are we, continue, are we willing to continue to pursue God and, and love? Now, a lot of people what they will do is they will just drift off in bitterness and be angry with God. And if you, because of a certain situation and circumstance in your life, choose that as your path, you will never see 
God's ultimate purpose for whatever you went through fulfilled in his way. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for a brief study on Naomi. Uh, God, I do pray that um, uh, that this, this, this message, uh, uh, when in written form, uh, is read by the first widow uh, in our church that read it. Be a, be a season of encouragement for them to hold on and press on and look for the sweetness and the joy that only you bring. But God, not just for widows, but for guys in this room, guys that are going through maybe some uh, financial struggles or some family difficulties or uh, maybe they've even lost loved ones. And so, God, whatever it is, or it's occupational issues, God, whatever it is, let us not become bitter. We can go through seasons of bitterness, but let us not become bitterness to a point that we can't see you when you show up to provide an opportunity and an escape and a way out. And so, God, we thank you for Boaz being a kinsman redeemer. And if we are struggling, God, our number one call is that you would show us those kinsman redeemers who can help us get out. Beyond that, God, if we are struggling, if we know people are struggling, let us be a redeemer for someone else today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless y'all. Y'all have a great, great day. Take care.